black boys, harder for black girls. Start your own business venture, thrive in a black world. Where you and your homies don't gotta worry about getting fired and facing discrimination. We are creators, we don't go begging for placement where we are not wanted. And I'ma keep it a hundred, youngin'. We used to be hunted, they had us sitting in zoos. So what you see in the news is really nothing that's new. They really targeting you. You hear me talking to you? Race and Rose is brought to you by your hosts, Deja Staten and Christina Alford. Hello. This podcast was created as a way to address the many racial issues that this country, and specifically BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, living in this country, have been carrying, confronting, living through, basically from the beginning of our history which we would like to mark our history is from before uh, the United States was was founded with, you know, the indigenous inhabitants who were here long before and were genocided by the predecessors to the U.S. government. So we will be covering history, current events, systemic issues that are affecting all of us. Today. Today. <laughs> so why Rosé, Christina? Rosé, because, well, for all of you who know us, we always have a glass or a bottle or ten. <laughs> okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. But not a lie. But not no. Um, close in hand. Um, and honestly, it's, you know, we'll be covering a lot of heavy issues. These conversations are not easy at all. And it's just a little bit more digestible with a glass of rosé in hand. That it is. So Welcome. Alrighty, let's do it. Hi, everyone. Hi. It's been a minute. We are um, struggling a little bit right now. <laughs> We're actually in. Speak for yourself. We are in New Orleans. We did. Um, this is our race and rose team trip. I want to say. Yeah, I mean our first like team. Yeah. Trip. Yeah. So inaugural. Race and Rose travel to a destination and do some shit trip. That's what's happening right now. We've got, um, well, obviously, me and P are here. We've got Lana here, who is our audio engineer and producer. And producer. We've got Brandy here, who is our new social media content curator. Our content there curator. There you go. Yeah. Social so, media content curator. Yeah. Handling socials and just helping, um, I guess, helping produce too. And just, Brandy's also black, so there's that. That's helpful when you're doing a podcast about race. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we're out here in these streets. Everybody else feels like shit right now because they drank too much and stayed awake until four o'clock in the morning. And then I had the flu. Which it, okay, bitch, (laughs) don't be bringing up old shit. You're fine. (laughs) Christina did have the flu. I had the flu. Almost didn't make it. You, stop. (laughs) You know why she almost didn't make it? Because this is Pristina. I text her and I say, Pristina, you good? She doesn't respond. So I call her. I had talked to her the day before and she sounded normal. She answers the phone and sounds like a gremlin crawled down her fucking throat. (laughs) And then I ask her if she has food and groceries and all she says in response is, I'm fine. So I sent her food and then did a wellness check because I don't trust this bitch. And when I got there, she really looked like she was dying. (laughs) So Christina is alive because I bought her groceries. Correct. But yeah, these bitches went. What did y'all do the other night? When we I went, when I came home, to, went to what was it called? Tremaine, Tremaine Hideaway. Tremaine Hideaway. Highly recommend. Apparently, it's in the hood. 
<laughs> so they were told repeatedly so while they were there. We had the best time. I had a fucking blast. <laughs> yeah, Christina had more than a blast. Um, they were looking real messed up the next day. <laughs> it was tragic looking up in here. I, on the other hand, decided that this would be a great time to stop taking my anxiety medication that I never should have been taking because fuck my psychiatrist. And let me tell you, withdrawal from Effexor is nothing to play with because I've been out here dizzy as hell for an entire week. Ver- just vertigo, full vertigo. It's been great. So I'm fucked up for another reason. But regardless, we're going to we're going to cheers. We're here. We're still here. We're drinking. We're doing it. We made it. We did it. Salute. Cheers. We're not drinking rosé, but we're drinking what we got. We're right. doing our best. We're drinking, a, I don't know, some sort of white wine we got the other night. Okay, wait, before we get in, let's do like just quick takes of the trip. Okay. What we did, recommendations, yada, yada, yada. Um, I highly recommend my bed. <laughs> That's where I spent most of my time. Danger had really great recommendations <laughs> that we, we all did and we left her here. Yeah, I, I was abandoned <laughs> while other people Thanks, enjoyed Jay. my recommendations because I've been here a whole bunch of times. So I didn't feel as bad since this is, I don't know, like my seventh or eighth trip to New Orleans, but um. Yeah, what did I actually get to do? So we had a we had a photo shoot that we did that was dope, and our photographer ended up um, like accidentally bringing her daughter because traffic was really bad, and so that was fun. That was a fun highlight. We got a tour from a five like a really hyper five year old, which was really entertaining and great. And we had we did that right after we I made everyone go to Lafitte's blacksmith shop which is a bar, like an institution on Bourbon Street, not the like super disgusting part of Bourbon Street, which you'll know what I'm talking about if you've been to New Orleans. Um, but Lafitte was a pirate played by none other than Jason Momoa in Drunk History. Find the episode. It's legit. And we got Oh, purple. this is the purple drink Yeah, we place. got purple drink. And okay, first of all, Deidre chicked us because <laughs> <laughs> one, it Deidre was literally drinks is what diamond tap, you, you a slushy diamond tap in a cup. And I liked it. It seemed like everybody liked it. And not only that, the liquor that was in there was Everclear. Who serves Everclear? (laughs) Who? Lafitte's. Like, who makes Dimetap slushies with Everclear? Underselling it. It was, I thought it was 151. And I swear to God, there is 151 in there. I think they lied, but it's definitely got bourbon and Everclear in it. Yeah. And it comes in like, you know, you go to get like a, like an icy and you can fill it yourself at like 7-Eleven or wherever. Well, the bartenders have like four or five like icy machines filled with bright purple stuff. It's called hangover in a cup. That's what it is. Bitch, don't blame your hangover on that one drink. You did so much more. Okay, fine. Anyway, so that's yeah, facts, we went to Lafitte's, yeah. but you should you should look up that Drunk History because it's like one of the best episodes yes. of Drunk History ever. Um, yeah, those are my... No, the jazz place we went to Which with place? the cheese. Oh, Bacchanal. Yes. Okay, so we also went to Bacchanal Wine. There might be more to the name than that, but it's this place over in like the Bywater, which if you're familiar with New Orleans, it's kind of like out on the, the out, like it's part of New Orleans, but it's like on the outskirts. It's um, by the river. <laughs> oh, by the water. It's by the water. It's by the water. I really enjoy that. Oh, thank you, Lana. <laughs> Oh, fuck. <laughs> Anyways, so we, okay, so we went to Bacchanal, which is dope. It's like this wine and cheese shop, and you go in and you literally pick whatever bottle of wine or wines you want. 
you pick whatever cheeses you want and then they plate it for you for a fee. And with the fee, they serve like olives and crackers and all sorts of, but like a lot, a lot. It's like, it's a huge plate of all of it. Yeah. It's a huge plate of all of it. Christina looks so excited right now. (laughs) If you can see her face. (laughs) Usually like like cute little, like, no, it's like a massive dump of everything. It was great. And then, um, Bacchanal's dope because there's an upstairs, like a patio area, which like so many places in New Orleans have. And there's a big gravel backyard pit with like tables and they have live music all the time. Live that music drummer, was, was though, great. There was a the hot drummer. drummer that Christina wants to marry. So if you're listening to this. <laughs> he was married though. Oh, damn. Y'all found that out? It was like glistening in like the moonlight. Well, I got so triggered by the show that I had to escape literally because it triggered my dizziness, my vertigo. So I had to leave. But apparently Christina was looking at ring fingers. <laughs> While I was trying to escape. His name was Peter. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, Peter, if by any chance that was a fake ring um, or, you know, whatever. He had a a Yankee fitted on all of it. Yeah, he was very talented. He was part of, what was it, the Noah, what band, Lana? Do you remember? Noah Young Band. Noah Young Band. Um, Or the Noah Young Trio, I think. Yeah, they were really good. Um, so yeah, Peter, holler at Christina. I mean, don't because you're married, but like, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I was looking. She, yeah, I was, was looking. looking. She was looking. Looks, <laughs> looks are free. Um, anyone else? Brandy, you got anything to, to add to our little uh, little trip? By water. By the rip. No. By water. Beast, American beast, bistro. You got by the water. You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. What, what, okay, so it's. By water Americano Bistro. Okay, I think there's And no it's other. by the water. <laughs> okay, what about it? What about it? It was so damn good. Yeah. Like the food, the our waitress, then we were like sitting at the bar, so we got to see them cook the food. Mm. Chef Nina and her husband loved Lana's cowboy racist hat. <laughs> anti-racist hat. We will let Lana redeem her hat. It's we'll like not a race. Hat. It's an anti-racist. No, we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait. We'll get there. We'll beat the hat in a minute. We'll and they had a black Santa. Santa. They had a black Santa. Black like Santa. a life-size one that danced. Oh, and this is owned by I believe. Um, this is owned by the same fan, or the same people who own Compare Le Pen. I'm probably butchering that, but a restaurant that I've been to a whole bunch of times, Bomb, it's a like f- French Caribbean um, spot in the Central Business District, which is where we're staying, um, has Bomb Eats, but the same people, same black people, um, own both Bywater and Compare Le Pain. So um, highly recommend. Um, we'll send you some other, what was Lana? Um, Lana was on the Po' Boy, um, oh, yeah. the Po' Boy train. We went to... Um, what was that place called? Parkway? Yeah. Yes. Parkway, which also apparently there's a lovely park next to. But even if you don't have time to to stroll the park, you should go get a po' boy at Parkway. I had the um, Bay Shrimp, super simple, super bomb. Also drank like an entire bottle of Crystal Hot Sauce with my po' boy. But it was bomb. I think Lana and Brandy both had um, catfish. Shrimp. Yeah, a duo of blackened catfish and shrimp, which... Right fried, whatever. It was bomb. And Pristina had the vegan option because Pristina, but she approved, I think. I had mushroom risotto. That's not what you had. Where are we? Where are we? Which place? Oh, po' boy. Oh, 
Sorry. Did you just get lost? Yeah, I was thinking about something else. Oh my God. I can't. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so moving along. I did have a. She did have a. Oh, no, it was, was a beyond, have, beyond, have a um, beyond burger po' boy. Yeah. They had like a couple of vegetarian options. But yeah, it was huh. like the streetcar with the sweet potatoes. Yeah. So there were some options. So if you're a vegetarian, you can do New Orleans. It's not going to be as good as if you're not a vegetarian because this place is definitely seafood and meat centric. But um, yeah, Parkway was bomb. Did I miss anything? Did anybody miss anything in the Rex? Treme Hideaway. So it's it's kind of an indoor-outdoor venue club, but they have a brass band that plays. Is it only on Sundays? I can't remember. I don't and know it, if it's always the same brass band either. It just might be like live music on Sundays. I'm not sure. But it's in between really dope DJ sets, so you get both. Which Pristina was very happy about. I, was, I heard. I wasn't there. No. Yeah, it was fire. I mean, yeah, if you come to New Orleans and you don't hear a brass band play, like, there's something wrong with you. Also, they just end up randomly playing in the streets sometimes, which is dope yeah. as hell. So. And they were all, like, these, like, young black yeah. men yeah. playing all percussion. Like, it was, yeah. it was really dope. I mean, it's oftentimes, like, very, like, brass bands can be, like, very mixed, but, like, that's part of what I love about New Orleans. It's, like, you'll have, like, it's, like, people just, like, from the neighborhood who, like, know each other, grew up with one another. A lot of the people who play in brass bands out here are, like, related. Um, like, you have, like, Glenn David Andrews, who is a god, um, and Trombone Shorty, who are two, like, the most famous. They're cousins, like, and people just, you know, they, they bring along their friends, and everybody apparently plays a trumpet or something in New Orleans. I guess that's the thing that you do. So anyways, New Orleans is dope. But let's get into um, kind of, like, one of the core things we wanted to talk about in New Orleans, which is the core thing we always talk talk about, which is slavery. <laughs> it all comes back to slavery. Yeah. <laughs> and colonization. Yeah. Um, so we had a really cool experience yesterday. We were very lucky to find, I'm not going to name him because he's like, really, he likes to go under the radar at this person. But he's actually kind of famous. Yeah. Um, but we're going to, we'll just call him, um, we'll call him M. Is that okay? Do you think that's cool? Okay. We'll call him M. And he's an actual artist. An not, artist. Yes. Yeah. This is something that he kind of just does. Yeah. So um, we found on like Airbnb experiences, which we've gotten so lucky. Shout out to things. Airbnb experiences. Yeah. We've had a lot of good. I don't, I don't know about shout out to Airbnb, but like shout out to Airbnb experiences. experiences. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk shit right now. I really want to. Um, <laughs> so we booked this experience. It had great reviews. We didn't know what to expect. It got canceled the day before because it was raining, like raining, raining. And it was an outdoor tour slash an indoor, you know, discussion in this person's art studio, in M's art studio, and um, in his home that he owns. And it got rescheduled. And then we got to bring more of our friends along because it got rescheduled. So there were seven of us total. And um and the the tour was about voodoo, hoodoo, and kind of just history, but history from a black perspective, a person who, if not born in New Orleans, had a very close connection to New Orleans because of his family history. Um, and he kind of like took us through like his family's history and connection to the city and just like a lot of adjacent history, like about slavery, colonization, the colonization of certain religious concepts and ideas, which we'll get into, um, gentrification, Katrina. I'm sure I'm missing stuff, but it was wild. It, I mean, also this person was fucking hilarious. And talented. And talented. And like really knew his roots. He yeah. walked us through his entire family tree. Yeah. And which I think is amazing. what we found out by the end, which is like, you know, I know a little bit here and there about like voodoo and hoodoo just from having been here so many times, but like I'm by no means an expert, but what we found out by the end of this experience was like he had been like 
walking in the steps of hoodoo the entire time, right? Talking about the ancestors and talking about his connection to his ancestors, which is a really core component of hoodoo as like properly understood as explained by a black person with historical connections to it. Um, anything you want to add, P, before I put my nerd history hat on and just give like a little bit of a... No, oh, let's, let's jump in. Okay. So I think it's important to just like contextualize New Orleans and um, it's been the it spot in the post-Indigenous world, I will say. Um, and I say post-Indigenous because shout out to genocide. Um, New Orleans has been a place of international trade, um, a massive port on the Gulf um, and like the northernmost Gulf port since at least the early 1700s, right? So it's situated at the bend of the Mississippi River. It's about 100 miles from the mouth of the Mississippi. If you've ever been to New Orleans, you know you can just like walk along the river. Pretty much everything in the city is organized around the river. And it was founded by the French and ruled by the French for about, uh, oh wait, I don't know how many years. It was ruled by the Spanish for 40 years. I don't know how long it was ruled by the French, but for a minute. Um, and then it was purchased by the United States in 1803 under the Louisiana Purchase, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but New Orleans is known for being this just cultural mishmash, this melting pot of, you know, indigenous culture plays a role in it. Um, Latino culture and Spanish, Spanish, <laughs> new word, new shit, <laughs> Spanish um, colonial culture plays a role in it. French colonial culture plays a role in it. And you get things like Creole culture out of that. Um, so New Orleans is this place where there are just like so many things happening at once culturally, historically, etc. Um, it's also geographically like significant because it floods a lot, right? So like you're on the Gulf, lots of hurricanes, um, most famous of which being Katrina, at least in our time period, and lots of rain, lots of just like river flooding, and lots of racial strife um, historically. So it's been this kind of powder keg forever, uh, and also a bright spot in terms of like history and culture uh, for quite a long time, which is really important. Um, to get to where we are now, like Americans who are in New Orleans, who are in Louisiana as part of the United States, we had to go through essentially the response to the Haitian Revolution. Um, and the Haitian Revolution was about 10 years long, started in the early 1790s, lasted until the early 1800s. And essentially, the French colony of Haiti revolted. There were like, I think it was 10 to 1 enslaved people to free people. And they were like, fuck this shit, we're done, overthrew the slave masters. And it was a cross-racial, cross-class revolt. And what ended up happening was the French were like, we are so done with this shit. Like, we don't need any more colonies of slaves revolting. New Orleans is going to be a problem for us. There's hella black people there. And there's hella black people who are mixed with Italian and French and indigenous and whatever and we don't need another Haiti, right? We're not doing it. So they sold New Orleans um, as part of the Louisiana Purchase for pennies on the dollar. Um, essentially, the U.S. government bought everything from Montana down to the Gulf, with the exception of Texas, um, for $15 million in 1803. You can't get a house in some parts of Los Angeles for that much today, um, but they bought all that shit, and what they got with it was... New Orleans, which was huge, both from the perspective of enslavement and from the perspective of just like history and culture. So that's kind of the relevant, very quick and dirty background of like how New Orleans became the United States and why it was that New Orleans became a part of the United States. Did I miss anything there? 
I think you got it. Nailed it. Yeah? Yeah. We love nailing it. Okay, Pete, do you want to give us your thoughts on like, so like, let's go micro, right? We've talked about like New Orleans a little bit. Let's talk about where we started our tour yesterday and like yeah. what the relevance of that was. Sure. So we met at Congo Square. Um, this is where we met M. Mm-hmm. Um, and Louis Armstrong's Park, um, if you've never been, it's a huge park in the, kind of in the middle next to the French Quarter. And at night, it lights up. Yeah. Like the entrance is bright. It's like an arch. You can't miss it. It says Armstrong real big on it. It's <laughs> in bright lights. In bright, bright lights. Yeah. Um, so the square um, is famous for its influence on the history, um, just for um, black people, for music, jazz, et cetera, except for the history behind it is that um, enslaved, or just slaves in general, they had Sundays off, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there was Catholicism kind of ran shit in New Orleans, French, Spanish colony. Um, And on Sundays, the enslaved people in New Orleans had the day off. And um, I think part of what we learned yesterday, but part of I think what we already some of like might have kind of known is the fucking enslavers because they cheap ass motherfuckers were like, we're not paying for your room and board on Sundays. Sundays. Get the fuck out. Right. You're not we're not feeding you. Like, don't go rummaging through our garbage. Like, get out of here. So, like, everybody started meeting at Congo Square. And this was called Code Noir. Yeah, yeah. Code Noir, which, so you'll hear a lot of stuff in French or in Spanish um, because of New Orleans' unique history. Um, and a part of that unique history, I just want to, like, plug here as, you know, nerdy lawyer person, is also its legal code. Um, New Orleans, or Louisiana, is the only state in the United States that is a civil law state, meaning they have a written book of rules and codes that they apply. The rest of the United States is common law. Um, And the reason for that is the French-Spanish history, right? So there's a lot of shit that's different in Louisiana and in New Orleans specifically. Um, Code noir is black codes, right? And black codes are what came about after enslavement ended formally in 1865. It was kind of the next step in the, we're going to subjugate y'all, um, pre, um, separate but equal and pre mass incarceration. It was just kind of like the next, like, let's make up some laws that only apply to black people so that we can like fuck with you even further. Yeah. So not only was it a place where slaves would come to congregate and sing and dance or whatever, but also a lot of them would take some of the work that they were working on the side for their slave masters and bring it to the square and kind of trade, right? They start building their own wealth because during that time you could buy yourself out of slavery. Yeah. And specifically here you could, because it was also a hangover from like French rule, right? In the United States proper, there, there was no real buying yourself out of slavery. That was, it happened, but it was relatively rare. Um, in the Spanish and French systems of enslavement, um, chattel slavery, complete ownership of a slave as a piece of property and ownership of anyone born to that at that slave was not necessarily the way that enslavement went. Um, so that was a big piece of, of what happened here was, you know, you could start building your own wealth, buy your way out of slavery, or just like buy some more niceties for yourself while you're subject to um, enslavement. Can I, I need to call Brandy in for a second here because this is making me think of, <laughs> so <laughs> we, that was the first night we were here when we went to like the art garden mm-hmm. thing. Okay. So the first night we were here, we went to, this thing, it's called like the art garden. It's on Frenchmen. It's dope. Whole bunch of artisans selling their shit. Like we got to, Pristina and I found this dude who, um, his sister had bought like a hundred year old, like Cypress paper book 
not knowing from El Dorado plantation from a plantation. She found it in like a vintage secondhand store. It turns out like all this slave shit had been kept in it. And like, they just like had bought it. So now his thing is like, he's painting each page individually and selling it for like a whole bunch of money. Yeah. Ripping out each page. He's literally creating his own reparations. Because of slavery. Yes. (laughs) But also at this market, Brandy, can you just, just talk about this woman here? So there was a lady white um (laughs) and she was selling uh these prints of cards that they make and this was a new collection that was coming out about the legends of crescent city um and so as she's going through them she's talking about all these urban legends and then she starts talking about marie laveau and like praising this lady and talked about how no matter the race the color who you were when she died, the whole city shut down and how everybody came to her if they needed any help. And Marie Laveau, just just to give a little background, Marie Laveau was a voodoo priestess who was of color. Um, supposedly she was, very she was born skin. free. She, she was, was born, born free, free. She died free. Supposedly very light skin, um, which is relevant um, to the story. And she was a hairstylist and she would get like a lot of just information um, from wealthy white women and from enslaved black women by virtue of being at a hair salon, right? Um, not much has changed except for like the slavery part. And she would use that information to um, convince people to do things and also to just have like a leg up. And a lot of people thought that she had significant powers partly because of that, right? So partly because of her association with voodoo, but partly because she just had information that people were like, how'd you fucking know that? And it was because she was kind of working within this web of informants, if you will. She um, was like white adjacent, so she could navigate both circles, basically. She used her ears. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) there was another, I don't remember the lady's name. Um, Madame LaLaurie. Madame. Madame LaLaurie. So this lady had slaves. (laughs) Um, and terrible, terrible lady, white lady, I assume, French, French lady, um, in top of her, of her attic, she found remains or people shackled. The only reason they found all this stuff is because she locked or chained her cook to the kitchen and they set it on fire. There was also a fact that there was a 12 year old, I believe that Mm -hmm. jumped off the building and like she kept being reprimanded by taking her slaves away because as this lady put it back then you couldn't treat your slaves real bad because they'll take them away from you. Um, But then she said they turned a blind eye because they let her buy them back. But the way that she just talked about how you can treat your slaves well and how things were so different without like, but talking to two black women about it and making it see, it was just mad weird. Like it was mad racist. I think that's what you're looking for. The word you're looking for is, Racist. <laughs> it just was like super eerie because like she's smiling my face trying to sell me these cards about this crazy ass lady who used to lock and torture people and cut off arms and sew on hooves, but then also was trying to like forgive her and make her seem like she wasn't that bad. It was all about her husband who was a doctor, a doctor and it was medical. I don't believe it was all her. No, the bitch is crazy. I don't know if I can say that, but like, <laughs> She was touched. It was it was very interesting and very weird. And I remember walking away just looking at you like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. I mean, 
literally Brandy and I, like we turned away, we took maybe like three steps and just made eye contact and we're like, what just <laughs> happened? I mean, A, for like a white woman in this city that is like very black to be talked, like the one telling this history by itself is like problematic. But B, bitch, I don't give a fuck if they let their slaves shit on 24 karat gold toilets. Like they were enslaved. It's still slavery. Yeah. Like the fuck. And like it really part of what drove me nuts about it was like it's so relevant to like the time period we're currently look like living in right now, right? We are still having arguments about what books are allowed in school and critical race studies and what the fuck ever. And a big part of that argument is in the South, there are a lot of textbooks at a lot of schools that have painted slavery as much less bad than what it was. And it's just in the South though. I feel like that's like, um, I think it's countrywide, but it's yeah. specifically bad here. Okay. And you can look this up. You can look at the textbooks themselves. There are only like a few textbooks that are used in most schools. And Even the ones that we grew up with. Yeah. And a big part of the problem here is not just the idea that like, oh, slavery wasn't that bad. There is this undercurrent of slavery was actually good for enslaved black people because they were savages. Look, like we took these people from the fucking heart of darkness and we gave them Christianity and what do you mean? Like, it's, I mean, it, it was hard to get through. Like, it was a bad period of time, but like, the end goal was great. Bitch, was it? Yeah, right. <laughs> Just dying in the streets. So much better. We love it here. Anyway. All right. One more thing for, about Congo Square. So, eventually, because this is what they all do, they all, all um, the slave masters and all the white people started coming to Congo Square to check it out. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, one, they would also start buying all the stuff. Um, well, they were sending their their slaves. Like, oh, yeah. They were sending right. their slaves to buy shit because they were like, yo, I heard that tomatoes are only 40 cents a pound at Congo Square. Can you go get me some of them cheap tomatoes? And like furniture, yeah. all the stuff. Yeah. So now they're just. So they ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they ruined it. There's like one thing. And you know what's wild about Congo Square, too? Like, um, our tour guide, I hadn't known this. Like, I've been on multiple tours in New Orleans and, like, you know, been here a lot of times to do my own research, but I didn't know. So the way that the city is organized, there's a lot in <clears throat> what's called the quarter, the French quarter, which is very close to the river. Um, it's about 10 blocks, I would say, maybe give or take, of, you know, historic properties, bars, restaurants, et cetera, very close to the river, hugging the curve of the river. But once you go over Rampart Street, which is away from the river, a good, you know, 10 blocks or so, um, you are in Treme, which was historically the black part of the city. And Rampart Street used to be a literal fucking moat, like a swamp moat. <laughs> like people didn't really fuck with it. Um, and I can only imagine what used to be in there. Like there's alligators and shit in New Orleans and snakes and all sorts of shit. And we're in we're in the jungle basically. Um, but black people would ford the, the fucking, you know, moat and go to Congo square and it was kind of separate. Well, once that started happening, we get like the early stages of like white people encroaching, not just on black tradition, not just on like the one free space that black people had, but starting to get the idea in their heads of like, Oh, like we can take this too. Like, this is ours also. Still happening. Right? <laughs> in wild new streets. Wait, and this is, and he also kind of introduced the um, concept of voodoo versus hoodoo yeah. at Congo Square. Do and you want to, yeah. No, you can, you can talk about it. But when all the white people started coming or whatever, um, and this is where all the slaves would be, you know, doing their African dances, you know, practicing, you know, their traditional 
um, music, etc. Calling one another by their traditional names, names because they had been stripped of them when they were enslaved. Yes. And a lot of these practices is actually called hoodoo. Yeah. Right? Hoodoo. And so when these people would come over, they started calling it voodoo because could they not like pronounce white people. it? They could- <laughs> <laughs> Look. Okay. So here's here's the, like, the deep, here's like the deep background. So this name is probably going to sound familiar to a lot of you um, because of, uh, what's the name of the movie that just came out? Woman King. The Woman King. Okay. So the Dahomey people of Western Africa who super um, contentious because they were both enslaved and enslavers working very closely with the Portuguese. Um, But the Dahomey people um, are kind of like the origin point of what came to be called voodoo incorrectly. And they had what was called voodoo, but, and I think it was pronounced voodoo. And it wasn't, it was spelled differently. V-O-D-U-N. And, okay. Yeah. Um, and that was the Fon people are the originators of this. And this was a cultural socio-religious practice. And the the gods within this religion were called the, the voodoo, right? And so what happened, as M, our tour guide, explained to us, um, was that on the ship over from Western Africa, the Portuguese, Spanish, whoever, people enslaving these Africans from a variety of places, right? You've got to imagine you have a slave ship and it's not just like people from one place. It's people from a variety of villages um, and a variety of geographic locations. They don't understand their languages. You have people from what, 14 different places on a ship and you don't understand a word of what they're saying, right? And so all they heard was voodoo Voodoo. (laughs) repeatedly, but that was essentially them saying, imagine like, imagine white people on a ship, God, (laughs) right? Like, or Jesus, or, you know, imagine any religion, any group of people on a ship, like you're going to hear the name of that God, of that religious leader over and over again. So they kept hearing voodoo, voodoo, and they thought that was the religion where realistically it was a call to a specific set of gods, essentially, right? This comes to New Orleans and gets smashed together into this kind of mystical set of practices and religious beliefs. With Catholicism too. It's and Catholicism all, yeah. being mixed in. And what's so interesting about this, I mean, hoodoo itself, which was actually the religion um, that was created by these enslaved people once they were brought to the Caribbean and to the South, um, that kind of falls by the wayside, right? This is the religion that's being practiced in real life by these enslaved people. But in the popular psyche, in the popular white psyche, it was voodoo. It was casting spells and hexing people and voodoo dolls. Voodoo dolls were never a thing. They were that, never a thing. <laughs> that people actually <laughs> use. It was just like something that white people thought was wild. And like, you know, they heard a myth that maybe there were voodoo dolls at some point. So like then black people making- trying to make a buck. We're like, oh, you want a voodoo doll? Here's a voodoo Here doll, go. bitch. Like, right? Like, <laughs> Which is so crazy. It's hella funny. <laughs> like- it's, it's hella funny. But like, it's just really interesting because there's like the truth of it, which is voodoo, the gods. And then hoodoo, the religion that was the combination of some of the practices from the motherland with some of the new practices in Haiti and wherever. Um, And then there's voodoo, which is like some white people in New Orleans putting their spin on what they think is happening, which is actually not what's happening at all. Right. So this obsession that we have culturally in the United States and I think globally with voodoo is something that's not even like real. Like it's It's colonialism. It's colonialism. (laughs) Right. It's a colonial story about black people, about black people who they didn't understand. Um, And I just I feel like that's such a bigger story about colonialism in general 
and like Western European whiteness in general and what is done to traditional concepts and belief systems. I mean, we could talk about indigenous Americans and all sorts of other stuff, right? Like the Indians were savages and like they were doing this and that. Like, no, they weren't. Y'all just didn't understand what was going on. You couldn't speak their language and you decided voodoo dolls. Right? <laughs> Make up your own shit. Like, yeah. wow. But yeah. you still want to be a part of it. Like you still want. Just the, the cute parts. You want, just yeah, the voodoo right. dolls. Yeah. Again, still happens. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about this for like five years, um, literally, and we are going to come back and do another episode about this. But I think it's important for us to just kind of set the stage and to talk about like just like a hot take on what our experience was here. And for me, at least, and like, P, I'm interested to hear what you think. Lana, who's sitting here, but who hasn't said anything yet, I'm interested in your take because you were part of this experience too. Brandy, you too. My takeaway from this trip to New Orleans is different than my takeaway from previous trips to New Orleans, which is like the reach of colonization is so strong and impacts so many things that we don't even think about. Even us who like are historians or academics or whatever like sometimes it even even if you're in that position, it has to slap you in the face for you to understand it. Because I never thought about voodoo through that colonizer lens prior to this specific yeah. interaction. No idea. Yeah. And we all like witchy things. <laughs> this bitch. So- <laughs> and there's Pristina's hot take on New Orleans. And we all like witchy things. And the witchy things were brought on by the colonizers. Amazing. I feel like for me, my takeaway from this trip, like one, it was amazing. Just like, thank you. Um, (laughs) Secondly, I think, especially with our tour with M, how we as like black people, we find these moments where we're trying to call our true selves because we've either assimilated into other things or for example, when he talked about when he had to choose between worshiping his God or this white man who usually beats me is enjoying it. And like you have to kind of push and pull between who you want to be and when you want to appreciate who you are. But then at the same time, you look at hoodoo where it gives you the opportunity to connect with your lineage mm-hmm. and connect to not only the, like someone who's passed away, but also your past selves. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I've taken away from this trip and honoring not me, but also my lineage and figuring out my roots and where they lay and stuff like that. So yeah, thank you. You're welcome. That's dope. Um, so, I mean, like what Brandy just said, I think is spot on, but I also think it's really interesting. Um, um, you know, talked throughout and really at the end about how hoodoo is a way to have your own personalized spiritual practice, right? Like mm-hmm. this idea of like, this is my, con- this, this thing I can control, right? Like I can control my destiny, so to speak. Like I can, I can reach out to my ancestors. I can, you know, do whatever I can within me and I can connect to God and the God within me in that way, right? So not necessarily a westernized version of religion where you are in a church praying to some invisible God, but the idea of reaching into yourself and finding that spiritual space and that connection. And like that to me was like really moving and made so much sense. Um, so off the top... <laughs> As someone who is currently living in Portland, Oregon, which is historically so white, (laughs) incredibly white. I heard that tremor in your voice. Purposefully white. Like, ooh, purposefully white. Purposefully white. Historically. 
um, like Oregon had a lot, like, no, there's going to be no slavery in Oregon. As a matter of fact, we'll do you one better. There's no black people allowed in Oregon. <laughs> like that, that was their, that's a real, shit. that was their quick fix. Um, so, so being somewhere like New Orleans that has such a deep history of lots of culture just feels good. Like I got emotional eating my po' boy. <laughs> she really did though. I really did. Not that I'm not, I'm not trying to bring white tears into a situation. Okay. We're not going okay that far, but <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, so, so just that in itself, like feels good. Um, the one thing I'll say about the, what we learned from our tour about voodoo versus hoodoo, this idea that, you know, of course, of course, it gets lost in translation and the people who are in charge of writing the history are like, oh, anything that all of these many different, like from different tribal traditions, like anything that all of these Africans are doing is voodoo. It's all voodoo. Mm -hmm. Like, even though it's like a whole bunch of different traditions happening mm -hmm. at in different corners of the square, yeah. but it's like, oh, this it's all just voodoo because, and... To me, it draws some similarities to the fact that white people love to be like, oh, well, black people are like this or like Got people it. of color or like this and like or like BIPOC. Let's just use that as a term for I don't even have to investigate anything <laughs> at all or talk to people because now I have this catch all term that just like speaks to, you know, whatever I need it to speak to. And I don't have to do any further investigation yeah. because I'm just going to cover all of this in like one term. And that's what it is. It's like, and what's that song? Throw it in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> can we, can we, can we drop that in here? Because that's what it is. It's just throw it in the bag. Yeah. 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 Throw, throw it in the bag of as the people who are witnessing this and writing the history, like I don't actually have to know anything about it. I can just, I can just come up with one thing and that will explain everything. And yeah. I think that shit is like, still happening and that's wild yeah no I mean you just remind me I know I said we were about to go but like I have one quick more thing to say so like a big part of the tour and the learnings from the tour yesterday was like what happened at Congo Square right so like you have Sundays and slave people are free free black people would go there too and Congo Square is specifically a corner of Armstrong Park Armstrong Park is dope. You can walk through. There's like all sorts of like jazz statues and stuff. Um, hence the name Armstrong Park. Um, but anyways, Congo Square was, I think, 42 different ethnicities, he said, um, were rep represented there. And so you're thinking maybe up to 42 different languages or dialects, perhaps more, and potentially up to 42 different religious, spiritual, whatever traditions, you got to keep in mind, slavery wasn't just like one spot in Western Africa. It was a lot of Western Africa. It was a lot of Central Africa. There were slaves taken from Eastern Africa and marched through Africa to the West to be put through slave castles onto ships and brought here. And so when you think about that and you think about Congo Square and the flattening of blackness into blackness itself, right? Like blackness didn't exist. Like that became a thing. Um, but the, the flattening of all of these black people into one culture that practices one religion is wild, especially when you think about like 42, at least distinct different groups of people from geographically different places. Like think about how fucking offended a white American would be if you took someone from like fucking Maine 
and you took someone from somewhere in Texas and you were like, oh, y'all just do the same, the same shit. I see y'all, both y'all eat with forks. What's this fork religion? We're going to start calling y'all at forks. Like I just never would that happen in the United States. Right. But that is exactly how we treat non-white cultures historically and today. So I think it's just, I mean, I'm, and I'm thinking of like how we collapse Asian culture, right? Into like the fact that Asian culture is even like a thing or that like black culture is even a thing or like indigenous culture. What indigenous culture? We have at least 550 sovereign tribes that are federally recognized in the United States. And yet we're still sitting here talking about Indians. Like these are people with distinct names, right? Like distinct spiritual, religious, cultural, ethnic, whatever practices. They're not the same people except for white people said they are. Right. So, and I think it's important to expand that past just blackness. Like that is an American project. That is the colonial project. Like that is the project of whiteness and of white supremacy. So just need to add that. And also just kind of my take from this trip is just how resilient the people are here, like the history behind Congo Square, all the people like literally making great things out of nothing. Yeah. Like and to today, especially after post Katrina mm-hmm. with M, who mm-hmm. had to figure out how to save his house. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he literally was building art pieces from scraps from his decimated house. Mm-hmm. Like and just how creative culturally, how resilient these people are how we are as yeah. people in general yeah, and we've how we've had to do this historically <laughs> since slavery. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean, what do you do when someone comes in and completely either crushes your culture or takes you out of it right. and says, you can't create a new culture because I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you have no access to community. Right. You can't speak your language. You have a fake name. You're thousands of miles from your homeland and you're never going back. And guess what? We're also going to take your kids from you. We're going to sell them to other places, etc. Like you have no choice but to be resilient. And I yep. think it's interesting because like resilience is not all that blackness is. It's not all that any group is, but it is a necessity when you're black. It's been a survival tool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all we've known. And I do think like that just gave me chills because I do think this city like is just like a story of resilience, like in so many ways, whether it's like resilience from hundreds of years ago or resilience from when was Katrina 2005 from, you know, fewer than 10 years ago. Like if you come to New Orleans today versus the pictures you saw in 2005, six, seven, eight post Katrina and like, you know, Lana and I went to college together. We went to USC and there were a whole bunch of kids who were bust up, flown up from Xavier, Tulane, other schools, because you literally couldn't go to college, like you couldn't go to school here anymore, right? Like this city is beautiful and just has so many amazing things to offer. And, but for people continuing to talk about it, which I'm so fucking glad they are, you wouldn't know that Katrina had just like obliterated this place. And like, that's the story of New Orleans is like time after time, whether it's natural disaster, whether it's man-made disaster, colonization, enslavement, this city comes back and they're like, fuck y'all. And we got some bomb food on top of it. Right. And, and, and we got a brass band for the ass. So I, I think, yeah, we need a part two of this. Like we will definitely have a part two of this, whether it's a follow-up sometime soon or whether it's our next trip back down here. Cause we got some other things planned, but like, I mean, we knew this place was amazing before this trip, but we just had such an exceptional experience, particularly on, um, this learning experiences tour that we did with M yesterday and we're fucking grateful for it. Um, the last thing I will say was M who will remain unnamed. Like he was like real, like real, he was getting real, real with us. <laughs> and it was a group of seven women, 
no one else was there. It was essentially a private tour. He takes took us back to his art studio afterwards. Um, there were two white women. Everyone else was of color. And I just had to question. I, I was so curious. And Christina and I talked about this yesterday. Like, I wonder what the tour is like for white people. I was wondering that. As yeah. Well. I was like, do you do the same? There's no way. There's of- no way. There's no way. Because, you know, those white tears would be coming out so quick. Yes. So quick. Like, there's no way. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was yes, super, and his cultural like, in his, his, his element and like relaxed. Well, also and, his cultural yeah, reference yeah. points, like the stuff he was saying, was stuff that like only like black women or like people of a certain age would understand. Yeah. But I also just like from a practical standpoint, like the tour had really good reviews, and I know for a fact that if this black man had been up there doing what he was doing yesterday, which like thank God he did that because it was amazing, um, with some like in their feelings privileged ass white people, like if it had, like if my mom had been on that tour, she would have cried. Like, I'm not kidding. And my mom is like, you know, way more like on the spectrum of like racism to anti-racism to awareness, whatever, much more aware than like your average white person. I just am imagining like, and you know, like we've been walking around the city for three days now. Like it's a whole bunch of football fans who are here to watch football games. And like, it's a whole bunch of people like there's like a fucking hematology convention and like a radiology convention. And so like, New Orleans is very black itself, but like the people who come to New Orleans, a lot of them are very white. And those are a lot of the people who are going on tours and booking these experiences. So I'm just so fucking curious. I would pay to be a fly on the wall in Same. that tour with like white people. And I'm going to leave it there. That's where we're going to cut it out. Um, all right. Any last words from our illustrious guests? Yeah. Tremaine Hideaway. Tremaine. Tremaine. Yeah, uh, go there. The fact that it's in the cut, but it's fun. (laughs) We made a left, and there are people shaking ass in the street with lights. I was like, "This is it. I'm home, baby." (laughs) All right, people, give you the final word. This was my first time here, and I just have to say that the people, the energy, just the culture of the city is different. Like, and we were talking to the waitress about this, and. Like, I have lived in New York, Deidre's from the East Coast, you're from Chicago, and we all come from, like, pretty culturally relevant cities, but this is, there's definitely a different energy out here, which I think everybody should experience, for sure. Word. That's it. That's all we got. All right. We're signing off. We'll be back. Coming to New Orleans. It's dope. Don't stay out till 4 a.m. drinking, because these bitches are still wrecked. Or do it. Until next week, keep your glasses full and remember that racism is garbage. Trash. (laughs) Basura. None of this would be possible without the support of our talented team. Big ups to our producers, Lana Shea and Kate Bataille. Thank you so much. And shout out to Coda the Friend for allowing us to use his music. Whoop, whoop. Whoop. Bye-bye.